This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, we've packed a number of shows together to give you some highlights. I know you're going to enjoy the show. Thank you for being with us today. So, hello, welcome back to the real estate syndication show with Whitney Sewell. Now, my name is Josh McCowan. I get to step in today to support the work of the Real Estate Syndication Show. Thanks to our good friend, Whitney Sewell. Thank you so much, Whitney, for letting me co-host or guest host, as some might call it. It's an honor. I'm part of the community with all of you, the thousands and maybe hundreds of thousands of us that listen every week and every day. So today's a great show. We're going to start a multi-show series with a true pro in the multifamily world. Today, we're going to meet Stephen Gessis. And it's exciting because he comes with a lot of experience. So let's welcome Stephen to the big show. Welcome. Thank you, Josh. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you so much. Welcome, welcome. Yes. And Whitney is just a hero to so many of us. It's an honor to be on his show today. And I've been on his show as a guest, but you guys, you're in for a great treat, Stephen. The community of the Real Estate Syndication Show is awesome. So welcome to the community. Thank you very much. Today, we'd like to get to know you a little bit. Why don't we ask you to share your background for a few moments and maybe even about your family, where you live and all that type of great stuff. Yeah, thanks a lot. So my background actually arrived in the United States in 1990 as an immigrant from Odessa, Ukraine. So that was approximately 32 years ago when they were just drawing the lines. And now, as you see in the news today, our thoughts and prayers are with those people in Ukraine. And so we began there and we began our journey out of Cleveland, Ohio. My aunt and uncle were our sponsors. And interestingly enough, they used to sew the interiors at the GM factory in the old Buicks and Pontiacs. Yeah. And so went to the Ohio State University. I want to make sure that we highlight that it's the Ohio State University. You got to put the TH in there for some reason. Every football player teaches us that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. We got to make sure it's memorable. And so it's ingrained in you when you arrive and decide a little document. <laughs> and then actually early on in my journey, I thought I was going to be a dentist. So I was pursuing a career in that. And so I, I actually have an undergraduate in biology. And then and as I progressed through that world slowly, you know, I was kind of deciding what I was going to do and came back to Cleveland, was working out of uh, the Cleveland Clinic, working on a master's degree as I continued my pursuit of being a dentist. And slowly but surely that kind of fell off. And I met my partner Vadim while I was working at the clinic. I had worked for him. Then I had worked for him when I was a teenager, made a call. Yeah. And today I'm at Smartland, one of the co-founders of Smartland. So very proud of that. Father of three, married to my wonderful bride, Megan, who uh, supports the household and makes this effort effortless. And so, so very, very gracious to that. And yeah, so we began our journey long ago in 2008, approximately. And we began with like one single house and it was an idea. The market had bottomed out. We kind of were birthed out of this like really tough place organically. And so we began that journey and I joined my partner actually in 2010. And so as with that journey kind of progressed, we began with some single family homes. We matured it into a very, very sizable scattered site, over a thousand single family residential homes. And then we sold that business in 2015. Wow. And that was our journey. That, that's been so far our journey. And then that progressed into multifamily. So I didn't want to digress, but so that's a little bit about my background and kind of how we began and kind of where I began from. You know, I was sitting in that eight to five kind of job thinking about, is this going to be the end of my journey or am I going to be a dentist or what kind of, where am I headed in my professional career? 
And I found myself in real estate. And ever since then, it's kind of once I got that bug and I'd done a little bit here and there, followed my father along, did that chuck and truck home flipping, you can call it, right? Okay. Very small scale. And so over the years, you kind of got, you saw some of it, but we never really imagined that we would take it to scale, right? And so once we took it to scale and then we exited that in 2015, our intent was that we were going to actually build something more of a uniform Ford model, right? This Ford model, the idea of this standardization, it sounds so sexy, right? Because when you think about scattered site, when we began that journey in scattered site, we were very unpopular. Okay. So in the sense of this was not a hot topic. If you ask, you know, Wall Street today, scattered site is the bee's knees, right? And so it was a tough, tough marketplace to capture. And so we wanted to go to scale. We wanted to have uniformity. We wanted a standardization in the process. One of the things that Scattered Sight did along the journey, as we grew the business and as it became an exponential growth, one of the challenges was dealing with all of the like uh, unique kind of administrative hurdles, but also some of the unique physical hurdles when it came to either removing residents or replacing residents or placing residents, and then that journey in unit turning. And so we wanted to find this kind of uniform product where it was a simpler time. Uh, No, it makes a lot of sense. You said a few things there, just to make sure all our listeners are, we do on this show, Whitney covers so many different ways people get into real estate. And this is a great journey. Sounds like this person who helped, was it your father-in-law? Who was the partner originally? No, 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 no. So actually I joined my partner, Vadim, who's one of the co-founders at Smartland. He was the founder initially of then it was Cleveland Property Management Group. And so I joined him a year and a half into his journey and we did it all on our own. There was no outside help because this was not a popular subject matter at that time. And so actually institutional capital or large capital. And at the beginning of that journey, kind of actually you hit it right on the center there because the one thing that you just brought up is that who was your investor? How did you do that? No, we put grit into it. We sought out those deals. We found what was tough to find. We did the tough things. We did it on our own against a lot of naysayers that said, no, you can't do that. Oh, that's not a good business. Oh, that's not popular. Oh, that's different. That's not something we do. That's not common stream. And so that's been our journey. We always laugh, but we say that we operate as a startup all the time. That's good. No, that's good. And there's a few cool things that also you brought up that we want to just get some uh, color on, if you don't mind. You said you had this great partner, Vadim, I believe, and you joined him on his journey, but it sounds like you guys exploded together. So as I've heard Whitney talk about before, partnerships, they're always an interesting opportunity. And how did you guys divide your labor in that partnership originally with the scattered site properties? Yeah, great question. So My background was more scientific, kind of putting things in certain categories, and his background was in IT. So uh, we were able to kind of mesh those things. And interesting enough, we run on a entrepreneurial operating system here at our business, and that's a whole nother conversation. But interestingly enough, you know, after we've done it all these years together, and we recently did these culture index tests, right, where we're trying to identify characters, and we're 100% black and white as far as how we 
look and, and see things. And actually, he is, interestingly enough, he's much more IT inclined. So he's much more technically savvy. And he's the guy, he's the early adopter in the office on every single possible thing. And I'm usually the, I'm the late adopter. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm slower to get to it on the techie side. But that's been really this kind of like yin yang, black and white. We're a good counterbalance to one another from a partnership perspective. And we were able to look at things globally, right? And triangulate information from multiple views. And I think that's really been a successful part of our journey is that we're not necessarily singular in our one path. You know, there's a lot of great things here too on the issue of multifamily. We're going to get to multifamily. We have a whole masterclass coming up from you on multifamily investing in the next show we run later this week. So We'll get to that. But before we get to multifamily, let's talk a little more about SFR, single family rental. It's your original bread and butter. At one point, you had a thousand you managed. How many of those did you own as a group? So we probably owned a good percentage, maybe 20, 30% of that. Okay. And so, yeah. And out of that journey, we did continue some of that SFR. Oh, you still have some then of those original portfolios? It's not going to, no, no. So we sold the majority of that and then, you know, we standardized the model as well. And then just, we put a few hundred away for a rainy day. And that's another thing us listeners who are starting businesses or own businesses related to real estate, or maybe syndication or single family portfolios like you were able to do. It sounds like you leveraged the management part to get scale in order to be an investor and buyer. Is that how you looked at it? Did you look at it is a strategic opportunity to build a bigger management company than your own portfolio. Yeah, that's precisely it. So, and then within that, we're able to gain that scale and efficiency because we were able to encompass all those things under one uniform umbrella for pursuing maintenance and administrative right. costs and software costs. And, and actually over the years, what we did is as we exited that business, we grew and we had a turnkey operation where we had a lot of investors coming into us, just like you would come into a Walmart or a Target, and you'd be able to just to buy it and purchase a direct turnkey from us. Oh, that's how you did it. Did you sell it out that way or did you sell it to one portfolio buyer? So, so we actually sold initially to one portfolio buyer. And after we exited that, we continued this turnkey operation where- Very cool. You could only purchase it from us if it was done to the standard, to the color, to the- And so we wanted to run it more like a 100% like a business operation, right? And so a lot of people to make the right business decisions. And so out of that, as we bought a lot of our own volume, we were able to sell some volume. At this point, we were accumulating investors that were interested in just the turnkey business component. And so that allowed us to continue to scale and grow. And the beautiful thing about SFR is its ability, how agile you can be with it if you do have the scale. So when the market ticks up, you know, you could push them all to for sale. And when the market begins to kind of soften, as we're seeing now, you can regenerate that back to, so it, there's scale and obviously you have to have the mechanisms and the tools and the staff. It does take time. You know, we didn't do it overnight. It's taken us over a decade to. How big was your staff at that time when you were full speed in scattered site, single family rental? Right before we sold, we had a decent operation. I think we were up to maybe 18 full-time staffers. Yeah, that's good. Plus contract partners. Yeah, yeah. Lots of contract partners. You can't, you really can't scale without that. Yeah. Absolutely. This is great, you know, because our listeners are either in syndication or getting into it. And this is now we're about to get to that part of your life. I imagine you did not raise syndications for the singles. 
Welcome back to the Real Estate Syndication Show with Whitney Sewell. Hey, wait a second. I'm not Whitney Sewell, but Whitney Sewell is a dear friend. Love him dearly. My name happens to be Josh McCallan. And as a friend and passionate member of the Real Estate Syndication Show, Whitney and I collaborated and I get to be honored to be part of the team and bring you a few guest appearance show hosts. So thank you, Whitney. And thank you, the Real Estate Syndication community. So in earlier episodes, we met Stephen Gessis, and we started to understand the journey from single family to single family scattered to vertical integration of a big management company of scattered single family, all the way to the ultimate destination we've come to find is multifamily. So Smartland, which Stephen is a partner in, has a lot to teach us. So we invited you back to do a masterclass on a key question, Stephen. So welcome back to the big show. Thanks. Good to be back. Stephen, we left off getting to know you a couple of days ago, understanding your great journey, your Ukrainian background, coming into this country as an immigrant. Why don't we start there before we answer the value add question? Because we're going to answer the pressing question. Why do value add? Why do they perform well? Why do you do it? And why does it perform well? You came here. Did you speak English as well as you do now when you got here? I mean, you are no. incredibly gifted, multilingual dude. No English. No, no, no. I learned English off of uh, Nick at Night, off of No wonder <laughs> your English is so great. It was before we messed it all up. Nick at Night's the 50s shows and 60s shows. Yeah, Taxi, all that stuff. And what about Wilbur, the talking horse? Maybe I think maybe you learned about that. So it turns out there's not actually a talking horse. I know that was a surprise to many of us watchers, but let's go to, they say it was peanut butter. Let's go to the key question about value add. You know, it's a term that's thrown around. Why don't you define what you mean by value add and what components you believe put the most value into a property? All right. Yeah. That's a loaded question. So, you know, that you make a great point because value add does have such a large, or it's used very broadly. You're very correct. And so some folks value add, it's maybe like 20% of the purchase door price or something, or 30%. In a lot of cases, value add for us is actually like 50%, in some cases, 60%, which makes it different because when we're talking about value add, we're talking about doing a much deeper dive. We're talking about the suite upgrades with new kitchens and new flooring and new trim work and new doors and a technology package that will include USB outlets and they'll include an Alexa. And now our new tech packages include TVs and we would have an a la carte tech package. So it def- definitely has progressed. But when we talk about value add, we definitely talk about the bathroom, the full suite, the common areas, the lighting package and the commercial common spaces. Then we're also talking about upgrading the common space and giving some sort of new amenities to residents, which may include like pickleball courts, or it may include a pet park or electric car charging stations, which is actually much more common that we're doing at at a lot of our properties. And we've been doing that for now, probably three or four years when everybody said, who's going to be the car that's going to park at your building and, oh, look where you're at. You're in this tertiary or secondary Space And that gets back to value add, right? So our value add look is that we're looking at it from a holistic and complete turnaround of an apartment. So some guys say value add, it's just going to be the common areas, the carpets, the lights, the signage. No, no, no. We're going to go, we're going the full gauntlet here. 
so full gauntlet, let's go back to the math you said at the beginning. You said sometimes it's just a small percentage of the value of the of the unit. You're saying for you guys, it sometimes is 50%. So do you mean you bought a $50,000 unit when you make out the math of 100 units and you're going to spend 50000 per unit? Is that what you meant by that? No, no, no. We're going to buy it for $50,000 per door per unit. We may spend $25,000, $30,000. Okay. That's what I meant. You're going to spend $25,000 on a $50,000 unit. That is substantial. And it does set you apart in my understanding of the communities of value-add investors. That's correct. So we would be considered a heavy value-add lifter, right? So the particular term here that I'm using is heavy value-add. So you're going to have the value-add, which is going to be that 20% kind of that common status quo stuff. And then you're going to have the heavy value-add lifter. And what makes us different in that respect also is that from a financial lending component, debt, most, a lot of debt lenders, they're really not looking to jump over that 20, 25% over door price. So you do getting back to kind of the previous episode where I said, you have to consider that entry barrier into multifamily is quite high simply because you have to have a closing track record with some sort of brokerage and you have to develop that over a period of time. And so the same applies here with banking. So it's kind of, you have to develop both. And so you can't just go in one without the other. So you have to have banking that's going to also get and support you to do that heavy value add, right? Because common status quo is going to be 20% over door price and everybody's comfortable in banking with that. So you have to have all the right components in place. And that's what I was saying earlier is that it takes time to develop. So I think our listeners, some of them are so sophisticated, have thousands of doors. And so they're listening to this and saying, you know, our model is the normal 20% model. Let's talk about some real answers, real detailed. So you've been really great on telling us about how much you're willing to invest. There must be an indicator in your mind, in your research that says this one's worth it. It's not just that it's a beat up building. There's a lot of destroyed buildings that you could easily spend 50% on. You're saying we're willing to buy this one because we saw this statistic. What makes you say this one is worth 50% investment? Honestly, Josh, it's a great question because some of it really just has to do with our discipline underwriting. So it's not necessarily like we're picking this. I think I said earlier, you know, we'll look at 500 deals in a year. And part of it, what we really have to focus in on buying, there's a lot of things that have to go right. So it's not only area. We do focus in on secondary and tertiary submarkets. We are looking for a hundred plus. So actually it does slowly begin to whittle down. Opportunities are not as robust. The other thing is that, you know, a lot of folks, they have to be prepared to sell. And as a buyer, we have to maintain our discipline in regards to what our investors are looking for as a return. And so the way that we hunt is what you're asking me has to be very particular. And so some of the accommodations, it's not necessarily area. A lot of people will say, hey, that area sucks. Well, what we do is unique from the heavy value add. So yes, we're all, always location, location, location matters, sure. But we're also doing a very, very large transition of an asset. And so when we're doing that, we're looking at currently, we're going to be probably taking it to a new market rate rent. It's probably we're buying it below market rate rent. It may be in that tertiary submarket, but we're only having to replace 100 or 150 residents that are prepared to pay slightly more to live in the best of the best in that submarket, right? Okay. 
So we're bringing, we're, we're a market maker anywhere we're going. So for us, a lot of things that have to align is not only price, it has to have the capacity to be able to do the uplift, then get the appraisal value on the backside, right? So, I mean, there's got to be a lot of, it's not just one or two or three. I mean, when you're asking me, how do we hunt? You know, there's a hundred components that go into this hunt. And so do we have to hit a hundred checkboxes? No, but we're probably hitting 90, 95 of those checkboxes on that checklist. And so some of it is driven by location, price, opportunity. All those things have to collide, right? So seller has to be willing to accept what we're willing to pay for it. We have to be willing to kind of come to terms with that. Banking, as you saw banking, that's ebbs and flows occur. Last few years have been really simple banking. Now we've entered into a more complicated yep. banking environment. So the way that you're looking at deals and the way that we're hunting for deals will slightly change. But in the same respect, we stick to a simple discipline, right? We're looking to do a heavy value add. We want to be proud of what we do. Unfortunately, we're not very good at the status quo, just coming in, doing the bare bones, the signage and doing the common areas. Can we do it? Sure. It's just not who we are as an operator. And there's a lot of operators that are very good at that. And we don't knock that business. A lot of things that we purchase are also coming off of generational ownership. So generational portfolios, we operate in the Midwest. So we're out of Cleveland, we're out of Akron, we're out of Canton, we're out of Columbus, Ohio. We also have a few assets out of South Florida. So we have an office out of Brickell, our main headquarters out of Miami. We set that up about a year and a half ago. But in the Midwest market, we're shopping for forced appreciation through that value add, doing that heavy lift. Yep. And so it's a heavy value add and it's a forced appreciation, right? So we're building a lot of appreciation because we have the cash flow in Midwest. In that Sunbelt region, you're getting a lot of appreciation, a little bit of less cash flow. Right. So you do have to trade in some areas. And so how you hunt and what you hunt for, for us, what stimulates our hunt is really a lot driven by what our investor partners are looking for. Look, we offer a pretty large return. And so not only do we have to be disciplined on what we buy, but we have to meet those return hurdles. And so, yes, I'm sorry I didn't have the best correct answer, but there's That's so good. many hunting parameters. Welcome back to the Real Estate Syndication Show with Whitney Sewell. Wait a second. It's not Whitney on the phone today or on the Zoom or on the podcast. I always say that three ways. It's actually Josh McAllen. I'm so honored to be a guest host for our great friend, Whitney Sewell. I've had him on our big podcast many, many times, and he and I just get along great. So I said, please let me add value to your community because I'm part of it. So today, Stephen Guesses is with us because he has been laying down this whole series of masterclasses on heavy value add. And today he's going to, he's quaking in his boots. He's scared <laughs> to death to be on the show today. Steven, welcome back to the big show. Thank you very much. All right. You're here. I hope you have your seatbelt on. If you're sitting in a seatbelt chair, what are the four best value adds that you can add? And I do want you to try to show me maybe in an example. So either the last deal you did or the one you're doing now, if I was doing what you were doing, how could I learn from you? I should say, what are the best ways to transform the value? You threw out a few a couple of days ago 
that were cool, but which ones let's rank them in order. Like what are the best ways oh, you're going to heavy lift these? One. You really did put me to the test on this one. Ranking. I did. Oh. Let's go. Because what we're trying to do is create forced appreciation. You and I care about, why don't you define forced appreciation for the That's listener? Right. You just, if you could, you got a lot of homework here, brother, start by explaining what forced appreciation is. And then tell us why you choose the value add techniques that you do the elements. All right. So real simple, forced appreciation, right? So we're going to build the value. We're going to grab a property that's underperforming. We're going to do a big renovation. We're going to modernize it. We're going to do new areas like common areas, lighting, suites, all that stuff. And we're going to raise the rents through this forced appreciation, right? So we're going to modernize it. And through this modernization, we're making, we're self-inventing value right? And that's something that's amazing in multifamily because this is like one of the only spaces you could really do it at scale in alternative investing. Because you're not really going to, you know, how many cars can you force appreciation on even classic cars? Exactly. One time. So that's forced appreciation. Okay. Then you said, what are the top four items for the forced appreciation, right? Okay. For sure. For sure. New Luxury vinyl flooring. It's got to happen in the suite. I'm writing that down. Numero uno. Got Numero it. uno. And here's why. From every angle, right? So number one, aesthetically. Okay. Right away. You get the most modern aesthetic look, feel. All right. That's important. Longevity. Actual product. How it performs. Okay. Against unit turns. Turnovers. And how it smells, that's part of longevity, okay? Because if you think about it, right, if you did the carpet thing, you got all these additional add-on costs, right? You got to clean the carpet. You got to replace the carpet because it wears down or somebody spilled something on it or somebody tore it or they moved their furniture twice and that's it. It's game over. You got to restretch it. I don't know. Are you restretching carpet anymore? So that alone, right, big value add component, I would say... This is probably one of the most critical pieces. Thank you for being with us again today. I hope that you have learned a lot from the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I hope you're telling your friends about the Real Estate Syndication Show and how they can also build wealth in real estate. You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today.